0: son of a peach hello everyone and welcome to the protagonist podcast where each week we look at a great character and a great story i'm todd mack and i'm joe Dorowski. and this week we're talking about momotaro from the japanese fairy tale momotaro and to help us with our discussion we're joined by returning guest brandon ushio
1: hi thanks for having me back welcome
2: we are always glad to have you on. Thank you. You should you should mention that Brandon is from the Fandom
3: Podcast. <laughs> ah, yes. So, producer well, Andrew. So, we got more voices than usual. That was producer Andrew jumping in there. But, yes, uh, Brandon is co-host of the Fandom Podcast. And where can our listeners go discover that one if they want to?
1: So, if you head over to fandompodcast.com, that's where our podcast lives. We've got about a and. 12 or 111 episodes as we are recording this but we're time traveling so so that's (laughs) that it may be different by the time you get there
3: it will definitely be different (laughs) (laughs) uh and if you look through the feed of the fandom podcast todd producer andrew and myself have all been guests over there and soon actually no by the time this one posts all three of the regular co-hosts of the fandom podcast will have been guests on uh on our protagonist podcast
1: you know what, if you like uh, these guys, which I'm assuming you do because you're listening to their podcast, head over to fandompodcast.com protagonist, and there's going to be a list of all of the episodes they've been on.
2: So. <laughs> hey! That's amazing!
1: <laughs> We're very,
3: very up-to-date over there.
2: Well, um, you
1: know, you know, it's, it's not there yet, so, so I'm, I'm relying on the magic of on-demand audio, but... <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: uh, I'm also going to note that over on my other podcast, the Disney Animation Minute Essentials, uh, we're gonna have some guest spots from fandom podcast people. I almost said fandom protagonist people. I was like, nope, that's <laughs> that's too merged. Well, uh, but we we no. are we are enjoying uh, all of our podcasts, getting some cross promotion. Yes,
3: heavy crossover in uh, early 2017 here. It's a fun little
1: community. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, we talk about a lot of the same things, so it makes a lot of sense.
3: Yes, uh, and your podcast, just so our listeners know, uh, it does always have a a very contemporary news uh, at the beginning. So if you want to stay up to date on uh, kind of geeky pop culture news, the Fandom Podcast is a great place to get a weekly dose of that. All right, so Momotaro, which, listeners, if you're completely unfamiliar, just the quick version, this is the story of a boy who is discovered inside of a peach by a kindly older childless couple and the peach had down the river, they snagged this peach, and then they discover boys inside of it. And then there's a little adventure that follows. I love fairy tales. <laughs> this is so wonderful.
2: It's it, a, a very simple story. In case you're thinking it's similar to James and the Giant
3: Peach, it's not. It's not, no. No, there's a, a peach involved, and people inside of a peach, well, a person. And and an adventure. But And th- there are ta- talking animals. But that's about it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But I would say that he's more the son of a peach than James, who uses yes, as a vehicle. Yes.
3: He is literally the son of a peach. <laughs> um, son
1: of a
0: peach. <laughs>
3: <laughs> which, if you uh, ever watched, uh, I believe it was Batman, uh, the 1989 Batman, if you watched that one edited for TV, you might have heard Jack Nicholson say, son of a peach in a different voice. <laughs> uh, at one point. <laughs>
0: Nice. Uh, before we jump into trivia, we just want to remind you, uh, listeners uh, – well, thank all of our listeners who support us on Patreon and uh, remind you if you're interested in supporting the show on Patreon, you can go to uh, protagonistpodcast.com. I'm sorry.
2: <clears throat> Take another swing at it. I know.
0: We really I, – I, I've got a lot of work to do on this podcast over the summer and one of them is going to be fixing all of the URLs so <laughs> that <laughs> 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 um, Part of being unemployed for three months will be, will be that.
2: Well, it's possible we'll be able to transition to a dueling genre.
3: <laughs> yeah, dueling genre uh, link, too. Yeah,
0: just in time. Um, okay. Uh, let me start that over. Before we jump into trivia, listeners, we'd like to remind you uh, – well, thank – I'm sorry. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> totally out of sorts. <laughs> my kids, my goodness, my wife just was like, okay, uh, I'm going up to Orem with Ian – and my cousins, and uh, you've got the kids for the weekend. And I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so so I took them swimming, and they swam and swam and swam until I looked at the clock and was like, oh my gosh, it's getting very late. <laughs> so they did not do their homework. They did not take a bath. Um, well, hopefully they'll sleep well. I think they will.
1: Uh, <laughs> We're going to find out. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: No, they seem pretty tired. But uh, I got to, Okay. Before we jump into trivia, we'd like to thank all of our listeners on Patreon who help support this show. And if you're interested in supporting the show, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist, uh, where you can offer a monthly uh, subscription, uh, not subscription, but a uh, patronage for us. And uh, and all supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick casts, which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers, and uh, all patrons who support us with $5 a month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. And those have been some of our very best episodes. So um, that's uh, patreon.com slash protagonist. And with that, we'll pass it over to Joe for trivia.
3: Yeah, so being a fairy tale, it's a, it's within the nature of fairy tales that there's going to be different versions of this. Um, and I I was unfamiliar with this fairy tale before uh, Brandon provided us with a wonderful summary of this, um, but I looked at Wikipedia. It mentions that there are some of the variations are that most commonly the boy is floating on something called a clam peach, but in other versions he is inside of a box. He's inside a white peach or a red peach, depending on the telling. Uh, and some aspects of Momotaro's character change depending on the version. When he becomes an adolescent, sometimes he's lazy, sometimes he's industrious, uh, and so that
0: can kind of be tweaked depending on the telling. And... I have a question. Okay, so Momotaro means peach boy, something like that.
1: Yes, yes. Momotaro. Momo means peach, and Taro is a masculine ending to a name. Okay. So, so the so it's part...
2: like Mister Peach. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you want to, if you wanted to get formal like that, it'd be Momotaro Asado.
0: <laughs> okay, uh, so if he's found in a box, is he still called Momotaro? Uh,
3: Todd, I'm just sharing something that I read on Wikipedia at this point.
2: Or is he called like a that?
0: box? Is he called like boxtato or something like that?
1: <laughs> I have never seen him called something else. However, I have seen other references to a box story, but I've never, I've never been able to find anything that's translated it. Probably for the same plot hole as you just pointed out right there. Okay. <laughs>
3: It's a good question, Todd. I just wish I had an answer to it, but I don't. So I'm going to move on to the next bit of trivia, which is that there have been many English translations of this, but the first one dates back to 1885. So this kind of started to seep into uh, other cultures uh, at that point. Though it's a fun story, and I kind of wish it had seeped in even more than it has and been more prevalent in our pop culture. Well, um,
2: one note on that is that there wasn't any real open communication or dialogue between Japan and the Western world (laughs) until the 1800s. Fairly isolated, yes. Um, Did not have an opportunity to permeate.
3: Yeah. Um, There's, uh, well, okay, Brandon, our guest, he sent a picture, and we'll put this up in our show notes, of a statue of Momotaro and some animals that help him on his quest. And Brandon, what uh, city did you say that one is in?
1: So That one is is in Okayama, which is uh, a town that is very famously known for growing peaches however they they weren't known for growing peaches until like the 18 late 1870s which by that point theoretically the story already existed because uh it's just one of those examples of someone using a legend or fairy tale to market their area
3: yeah. appropriating a bit of the the culture where it matches up <laughs> But there's another city called Inuyama, which hosts a Momotaro festival every year
1: on May 5th. So a little bit of trivia about May 5th. That's actually, uh, in the past it's been Boys' Day, now it's Children's Day, uh, where you go out and fly kites and uh, play with kendamas, all sorts of fun things. And so Momotaro is kind of the quintessential boy hero. And so I I would imagine that's why they do it on May 5th. April 4th used to be Girls' Day. So 4-4 four, four was Girls' Day and 5-5 five, five was Boys' Day. Now it's just combined 5-5 five, five for Children's Day. Okay.
3: All right. And uh, I, I mentioned that I wish there was like more permeation of this story into American pop culture. There is an adaptation from a Marvel, Marvel comic book called X-Men Fairy Tales. For a while there, Marvel was adapting fairy tales using their characters um, like completely free of the traditional continuity of Marvel comics. It was just l- overlaying the two into one new story. Um, and then there was also an adaptation of this in the Cartoon Network series, Samurai Jack, but I feel like it would be a story that could withstand its own adaptation as a feature film. Uh, you know, Disney could do their, their fairy tale thing or like
0: a la Kubo or something like that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah. Yeah. A stop motion version of this. Yeah.
0: I, I could That'd definitely cool. see happening. You, but, love uh, you, you love you 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 love some stop motion, I know.
3: I do, I do. I am endlessly fascinated with stop motion. <laughs> My daughter is really into it right now. Um, like, she watched Corpse Bride recently, uh-huh. and now she wants to watch, like, all the special features about making stop motion.
1: I've She's been binging... She needs to check out Kubo, because uh, Laika did amazing work with, that, with a couple of the scenes there, yeah. full, like, eight-foot-tall figurines and everything.
0: I've been binging uh, Parks and Rec, and there's a great...
2: Um, stop, stop <laughs> there, there is a good stop motion
0: gag <laughs> that's pretty okay, great well,
3: uh, I'll get to it because I started binging Parks and Rec after our episode on Parks okay. and... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I really uh, I think I need an intervention <laughs> it's, it's pretty bad it, it, it ends unfortunately
2: soon after you start binging that one <laughs>
3: yeah. oh, okay. alright uh, anyone else have any trivia? Like anyone else familiar with anything else about uh, Momotaro we need to share?
1: There was an adaptation on the kids' show Super Why. Uh, really? Yes, yeah. It, uh, Pig and his brothers were not getting along, and they were trying to get a task accomplished. And so they went into Momotaro to figure out how to work together as a team.
3: Oh, I, I could definitely see that. <laughs> good uh, the, from
1: the story. The things you learn when you have young children at home.
3: Listeners, before we get to the full synopsis, we would just remind you that you can take advantage of great deals from Amazon by going through uh, protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon. Looks like regular Amazon, but we get a little kickback from Amazon when you use that link. We always appreciate that. Uh, we have a special treat for our full synopsis. Because this is a fairy tale, uh, there's like no official version of this. And our guest, Brandon Ushio, as we were preparing this episode, he said, well, let me just send you... Uh, the version that I know, what, but know best. And he sent us an audio file that included some very pleasant sound effects in the background.
0: I loved it.
3: <laughs> High quality.
0: Get, get you into the mood a
3: little bit. You have the best reading voice, Brandon. Very oh, soothing. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Uh, so
3: we're just going to drop that summary that he sent us, so we were familiar with this fairy tale, in as the summary for you guys. So enjoy this very well-produced summary of Momotaro.
1: Momotaro, the Peach Boy. Once upon a time, there lived in Japan a kind old woodcutter and his wife. They were very sad and lonely because they had no children. One day, the old man went into the mountains to cut firewood, and the old woman went into the river to wash clothes. No sooner had the old woman begun her washing than she was very surprised to see a big peach floating down the river. It was the biggest peach she had ever seen in all her life. She pulled the peach out of the river and decided to take it home and to share it with the old man for their supper that night. Late in the afternoon, the old man came home, and the old woman said to him, Look, what a wonderful peach I have found for our supper. The old man said it was truly a beautiful peach. He was very hungry, and said, Let's divide it and eat it right away. So the old woman brought a big knife from the kitchen and got ready to cut the peach in half. But just then a human voice called out from inside the peach, Wait! "'Don't cut me!' cried the voice. Suddenly the peach split open, and what a beautiful baby boy jumped out of the peach. The old man and woman were astounded. But the baby said, "'Don't be afraid. Kami saw how lonely you were without any children, so he sent me to be your son.' The old man and woman were very happy, and they took the baby to be their son. Since he was born from a peach, they named him Momotaro, which means Peach Boy.' They loved Momotaro very much and raised him to be a fine boy. When Momotaro was fifteen years old, he said to his mother and father, You have always been very kind to me. Now I am grown, and I must do something to help out our land. In a distant part of the sea, there is an island full of Onis. Many wicked Oni live there, and they often come here and do bad things, like carrying people away and stealing our things so I'm going to go to Oni Island and fight them and bring back the treasures that they've stolen. Please let me do this. Momotaro's mother and father were surprised to hear this, but they were also very proud of Momotaro for wanting to help other people. So they helped Momotaro get ready for his journey to Oni Island. The old man gave him his sword and armor. The old woman fixed him a good lunch of Japanese rice cakes called mochi. Then Momotaro began his journey promising his parents that he would be home soon. Momotaro went walking toward the sea. It was a long way. As he went along, he met Inu, a brown dog. Inu growled at Momotaro and was about to bite him, but then Momotaro gave him some mochi. He told Inu that he was going to go fight the Onis on Oni Island and did not have time to fight a dog. Thinking about it while he ate, Inu said that he would go along and help Momotaro. Momotaro and Inu kept walking and soon they met Saru the monkey. Inu and Saru started to have a fight, as dogs and monkeys do. But Momotaro told Saru that they were going to fight the Onis on Oni Island. When Saru heard of this, he asked if he could go along with them. So Momotaro gave him some mochi and let him join them as well. Momotaro, Inu, and Saru kept on walking. And soon they met Kiji the pheasant. Inu, Saru, and Kiji were about to start fighting, as animals do. When Momotaro told them to stop, they didn't have time for this, they were going to go fight the Oni on Oni Island. When Kiji heard this plan, he asked if he could go along too. So Momotaro gave Kiji some mochi and told him to come along with them. So with Momotaro as their general, the brown dog, the monkey, and the pheasant who usually hated each other, became good and faithful friends. They walked a long, long way and finally reached the sea. There they built a boat and sailed across the sea to Oni Island. When they came within sight of the island, they could see that the Oni had a very strong fort there. And there were many, many Oni. Some of them were red, some of them were blue, and some of them were black. First, Kiji flew over the walls of the fort and began to peck at the Onis' heads. The Onis were distracted as they tried to hit Kiji with their clubs, but he was very quick and dodged their blows. With the Oni distracted, Saru slipped into the fort and opened the gate. Then Momotaro and Inu rushed into the fort. It was a terrible battle. Kiji picked at the heads of the wicked Oni, Saru clawed at them with his nails, Inu bit them with his teeth, and Momotaro cut them with his sword. At last the oni were completely defeated. They bowed down before Momotaro, and promised that they would never do wicked things again, and that they would leave the villagers alone. Then they brought Momotaro all of the treasure that they had stolen. It was the most wonderful treasure you can imagine. There was gold, silver, and many precious jewels. Momotaro and his three friends carried all of this back to their boat. Then they put the treasure in a cart and traveled throughout the land, returning to the people all the treasures that the oni had stolen from them. Finally, Momotaro returned to his own home. How happy his mother and father were to see him. After running to greet them, they realized that they were very, very rich now with all of the remaining treasure that Momotaro had brought back. And they all lived together very, very happily. The End Huh,
0: that was uh, actually uh, I I just have to say, that's a fine that's a fine uh, uh production of Momotaro.
1: Well, thank Short,
0: you. sweet to the point. Uh <laughs> great sound effects.
1: It makes a good kids bedtime story. It puts them puts them to like bed that. pretty good. Yeah. All right, where do we go from here?
3: So Momotaro, uh what what do you guys want to talk about first?
1: Well, I'm going to – so you guys normally have a section in here where you talk about where you first came to came to oh, right yeah. your head in the script. Uh, but uh, for me as a child, I grew up hearing it, I'm sure, because all my cousins, we all know the same story. Uh, but the one that vividly sticks out in my head was my older brother. Uh, my mom was doing a – Japanese day for his class oh uh, he must have been in first grade because I remember going to it and I was and once he was in second grade I was in school too so I remember going and my mom you know she she took some rice she took some cra- Japanese crackers all sorts of uh all sorts of Japanese cultural things and then told this story and so I was probably about five years old when when this happened and I just remember it being like the biggest production ever However, I was five years old, so I think she (laughs) put some some blue fabric and waved it when they were going across the sea, and uh, she may have. And I just remember that stuck in my brain for some reason, and ever since then, that's I see this whole big cinematic feel to it every time I hear this story. It's amazing what sticks in his kids. I'm assuming that the first time that you guys were brought to it was with my audio recording.
3: Yes. Yes. Which, uh, like we said, we really loved, and I really feel like this story could very easily be adapted uh, in, into into current popular mediums. Yeah, it would hold up very well. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell I... you,
1: oh. it's it's really so it is actually really easy to expand on that too. Because sometimes when when I'm telling it depends on how much time I have, basically to get how much time I want to spend telling my kids a story. Uh, sometimes there are bigger sequences where you know he's fighting the dog for a little bit before he gives him a treat and uh, there are sequences <laughs> where there are issues getting all of the the gold and the riches onto his boat back into the village all sorts of things I mean there are there are certain core elements but it's really easy to add scenes in here and there uh, it's it's just kind of a just kind of a fun story to to add to which is kind of the basis element of fairy tales right there you, you put in it what you want in it for that for that retelling
0: so um i in thinking about this thinking about fairy tales um i was reminded of an essay by c.s lewis called sometimes fairy stories may say best what's to be said it's in a essay collection called of other worlds um and he talks he's talking about the form of the essay and he says he's talking about uh, writing a story and uh, he has an idea for a story, and then he says, what form should I use to write this story? And he decides on the fairy tale. And he says, uh, at the moment I thought of writing it as a fairy tale, I fell in love with the form itself, its brevity, its severe restraints on description, its flexible traditionalism, its inflexible hostility to all analysis, digression, reflections, and gas – I was now enamored of it. Its very limitations of vocabulary became an attraction as the hardness of the stone pleases the sculptor or the difficulty of the sonnet delights the sonneteer. So uh, I'm wondering what you think of this, especially this idea um, of its inflexible hostility to all analysis.
3: (laughs) Okay, that was the one that stood out to me where I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that one. But most of the other ones, I was like, check, check, check. Yeah. Yeah. I like what he's saying. But the hostility towards analysis. I think there's an entire cottage industry of analyzing <laughs> fairy tale. Fairy <laughs> analyzing uh well, adaptations of fairy tales.
1: I think the yeah. reason that you can analyze them though is because they are because you can't because because at the end of the day there's not a right answer. Uh I mean, what other story are you going to analyze and just because they completely blow by the fact that there is a talking dog, a talking <laughs> monkey, and a talking bird? And that they are all and a little boy a, that was in a peach, and a little boy in <laughs> a peach, and uh, and that and that this dog and this monkey and this bird they all like, uh, they all like rice, like that's <laughs> not something that that's not something that most animals just pick up on.
3: Um, real quick before that, that reminded me of a couple of things because we also blew by, uh, you know, the presence of these Oni and for listeners who are unfamiliar and we kind of chatted uh, briefly before we started recording, you said Oni are kind of, um, more like ogres, right? Is that correct? Yeah, oni are the ogres.
1: If you have like, if you've seen like the Japanese masks that have like the horns coming out of them and big noses and big teeth, that's, that's what these Oni are. Usually they're like red and blue. They're, they've got oh, colors. Oh, I know
2: the, the masks from the second three ninjas movie.
1: Yes, that's exactly it, actually. (laughs) Three ninjas ninjas
2: knuckle up, I believe. Uh, Or was knuckle up the
0: third one? Somebody put put the three ninjas. Kickback
3: is the second one. Yes!
1: (laughs) Somebody (laughs) put put the three ninjas on our schedule for 2019. (laughs) That's it. I'm I'm, I'm putting a pledge on on Patreon right
3: now. Now, do you want three ninjas? Three ninjas knuckle up or three ninjas kickback?
1: No, it has to be the
0: original. It has to be the original.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to double check. I mean... Obviously we only know the the
3: first three by name, but there were several.
0: <laughs> oh man, I uh,
3: but, love But you that were saying show. that there's a different word for kind of spirit demons, but oni are physical, like physically present in, in Japanese mythology, is that right?
1: Yeah, so the the oni are are physically there. So it's a demon, but it's not like in supernatural where they can like in, inhabit people. They're hmm. they're your trolls, your ogres, your monsters, that kind of a that kind okay. of a demon.
3: And when, uh, the peach floats down the river, well, when the boy pops out of the peach, he says that someone sent him to this family. Who is it?
1: So Kami sent him. Kami is, uh, is just the word for God. Okay. And so in my family, so I, I am fourth generation born in America. Uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of Japanese culture that has gone by the wayside with me. Uh, but there's a lot of things that my family has taught us through the generations and this story is, and this fairy tale is used to do that. Uh, Kami is just another word for, just another word for God. Uh, if you watch Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball, there's actually a character named Kami who is supposed to be basically God. Um, there is uh, the word Inu, which is the name of the dog, literally means dog. Saru literally means monkey, and Kiji is the bird, or the pheasant. And so that was that was kind of my grandma's way of making sure that I had some of this knowledge. And uh, some books call it dumplings. Some say they're rice cakes. My grandma always said mochi, and my family always said mochi, and that's because that's we we had a tr- we have we still have a tradition of making mochi every year uh, in the holiday time. So. It's it's the fairy tale is used to tell you exactly what needs to be said at that time. I kind of like the quote from C.S. Lewis talked about.
3: Yeah. And I think that's like you're telling us a very vivid and personal version of what I think fairy tales and oral tradition storytelling really was. It's a way of passing down uh, knowledge and values, uh, you know, through memorable tales
1: Right, and you know when my grandma would tell me the story, when she'd expand on things, Momotaro was obviously from Wakayama, and so the first time that I read that, everyone think everyone talks about him being from uh, being from Okayama. I was like, that's not right. My grandma said Wakayama, but my grandma's family came from Wakayama, so <laughs> that's just been passed down over time. It's it's a it's a family retelling right there, and. It's it's that's really what fairy, that's how fairy tales have always changed. I mean, you think of the European fairy tales; the Grimm brothers have their names on so many of them, but they were really just the first to collect them. They weren't really the first to to come up with the stories. They're yeah, certainly not them telling even written them, for
3: them, no. right? Yeah, and they weren't even doing it to preserve fairy tales. They were linguists trying to get people to speak naturally, and they found storytelling was a really good way to get them to speak naturally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, yes. So, no, it's a. Uh, it, it's it's really it's really kind of neat. Like these these fairy tales, you can examine them, but you can't exactly. Like, I mean, there's there's the dog, there's the talking dog, there's the there's these uh, oni that live on. So I I dumbed it down a little bit because oni it means demon or monster. Uh, and you know my my when we were younger we'd call it Oni Island, but as we get older we would call it uh, Onigashima, which is means Oney Island, Ogre Island. Uh, so, yeah.
0: So when, so when C.S. Lewis says that the that the fairy tale resists analysis, um, I think, well, we have a couple of options. One is we can say, well, he's wrong because there's a whole industry of people who uh, analyze stories. Or we can say um, he's right in that it resists a certain kind of analysis. And I think... I think that's probably where I lean on this. That, um, much in the same way that, uh, like Tolkien, when he was talking about Lord of the Rings, uh, would say that uh, his his story was resistant to uh, being turned into like a strict metaphor or analogy, um, and that the the meaning of the story was sort of slippery and could apply in you know, a thousand different contexts to a thousand different things. And he was resistant.
3: Tolkien didn't want anyone saying like the ring represented nuclear power or anything like that. Right.
0: The, the ring is a bomb or the ring is industrialization or the ring is whatever he'd say, the ring is whatever the ring needs to be. And it will change depending on who's reading the story. And, and I feel like maybe when CS Lewis says that the fairy tale resists analysis, what he may be saying is that it resists a certain kind of um like hard hard analysis that the that, that pegs it uh, with a certain specific meaning that this means that momotaro is this and the dog represents this other thing and the bird represents this other thing um i think he would say that that's the kind of analysis that it that it resists that's my that's my best
1: Guessing well, yeah. That. And, and that makes a lot of sense. Uh, with Momotaro in particular, during World War II, it was a favorite of the of the Japanese government to turn into adaptations books and uh, comics and and shows because they were able to say, look, uh, Japan, our, the government, the emperor, he's Momotaro. He is this great visionary leader who can get everyone to work together. And we are the animals and the, the citizens are the animals in that story. And obviously the Americans are the Americans are the only, the only. <laughs> and, uh, and even down to the point where several adaptations, uh, said that Pearl Harbor was Onagashima, where, wow. And you know, I look at that now and like my family came over to America well before world war two. And so I look at that. I'm like, that is so wrong. I, I mean, I had family fought who fought on the other side of that war yeah. and it, and it's like, that, no, that's, that's not right, but that's what they wanted it to be at the time. And so that's how they were able to, to adapt it. And, and you know, that may be why so many different fairy tales get adapted so many different times in so many different ways.
2: I'm going to jump in. I have some, some theories bouncing around in my head all, all at once. Um, but what I, what I see when I hear you talking about how they defy analysis in a certain degree to that, like, reduction to one-to-one kind of things. It's the reason why Marvel's able to publish these X-Men fairy tales, Avengers fairy tales, Spider-Man fairy tales. You know, it's it's elastic enough to let, you know, different characters step in. So in the X-Men one, you have Cyclops and Beast and Iceman and, and Jean Grey as this team that you have in Momotaro. But then you have Avengers fairy tales and it tells like this Pinocchio about the creation of the vision as the puppet (laughs) that wants to be human. (laughs) And it's like, these are almost archetypical matches. Mm -hmm. And then there's a, um, there's a Peter Pan one with Captain America as Peter Pan, the the boy out of time. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, this, this connection and, and whenever I see those and they seem to work and resonate with the with the characters that I know from you know modern comics or or films or something, it just like this reinterpretation of everything. It says to me that these fairy tales have something transcendent, transcendent or fundamental that makes them work, and also makes them not lose anything when they're adapted with these characters that I know from a completely different context.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But there's some sort of connection. So there's some sort of deep. And I don't know if it's mythical or or subconscious or collective conscious um, element to it that makes everything fit. And another example that I was just thinking of, um, and it it fits also especially well because it involves feudal Japan. One of the best adaptations I've ever seen of Shakespeare was As You Like It,
3: set in mm-hmm. feudal Japan. It was a Kenneth Branagh adaptation. Yeah. With uh, um, Bryce,
0: Dallas, Bryce, Dallas, Dallas, Bryce
2: Dallas Howard. Yeah. And it's... Yeah it's fantastic and everything fits Mm -hmm. and there's not a, a, I mean, I I, granted, I don't know a lot about feudal Japan, yeah, (laughs) but everything seems to fit or it can be tweaked just enough to make it fit. So, so smoothly. And I mean, people do adaptations of, of all sorts of Shakespeare stuff. And I think Shakespeare probably tapped into that fundamental thing. There's, there's, you know, Romeo and Juliet with um, the Romeo plus Juliet. It's like a, like a, The Uh, business uh, boss Lerman one,
3: yeah, it's like a business conglomerate gang war. (laughs) Yeah, um, and and these adaptations work. (laughs) I think if you like, so let's talk about Momotaro and break it down. Like some of the themes that are present in this and in so many fairy tales. You have the yearning for family at the beginning, right? Uh Um, And I mean, you'd mentioned Pinocchio. There's that. That's another one that has that element. I mean, we could go over and over dozens of fairy tales. I'm sure that have uh, either children yearning for parents or or childless. Uh, adults yearning for children but it's also what
0: andrew was saying it's it's archetypal i mean it goes far beyond the the fairy tale genre it's just Mm -hmm. it's like a basic i mean it's archetypal it's it's abraham and isaac and it's, it's a it's a very very old story because it's a very basic like primeval uh human desire
3: I mean, we're leaning hard into uh, Campbellian analysis of myth, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> uh, and Jungian yep, archetypes. When we say this, but I mean, the, these stories are found all over the world in cultures that wouldn't have had contact. You're going to find stories that have have similar beats, even if uh, you know the the surface level dressing of it is is unique to that culture and that time. Uh, when, when you start to t- take apart what are the building blocks of the story. Uh, that's where we're finding these archetypes. So you, uh, Momotaro starts with the, the yearning for family, uh, but then his adventure, I mean, it's, you got cl- some classic Buildings Roman elements, this this child becoming uh, an adult, but you have, you know, the gathering of the fellowship, you've got the, uh, the enemies who learn to work together, uh, you know, setting aside differences for a greater cause. Um, you've got almost a Robin Hood element of uh, you know, going yeah. in and, and uh, taking what's rightfully belongs to others and redistributing it, even though it's it's using this uh, this violence, but for the good of the community. Uh, so, so I think there's a lot of really interesting, like, like we said, archetypal elements that are present in this, uh, this story that ha- does have this very unique boy popping out of a peach and going to fight ogres and befriending talking animals along the way. Um, but when you look at what, what are some of the sub elements of the story, you can start to, you know, see how that maps on to other stories as well.
1: Well, in the uh, version that I gave to you guys, yeah, I mean, it was pretty bare bones. I mean, it was bare, bare enough bones to be the synopsis, but in the, in some of the adaptations you get momotaro not wanting to go out and fight the ogres so he's he's refusing the call to adventure uh he you get the villagers basically begging him to go help um and training him on how to fight and then you know when he finally goes out then he meets the allies i mean this is literally the hero's journey right there yeah um and the one thing that i've I've been thinking about whether it's different from a lot of these European and other Heroes Journey type stories. I mean, there's always the return. There's always the return. However, uh, it puts a big emphasis on what I would say is a a really big Japanese and Asian responsibility of where you go out. You take care of your family. Like he went out and he left and then he came back to take care of his elderly parents. And And there are a lot of people going through that in their lives right now. But I can't think of many other fairy tales that specifically say, and then he went home to live with mom and dad. Usually <laughs> it's a – and then he got married to a princess and they lived happily ever after. Yeah. Uh, can you guys think it, of any other fairy tales that he goes? they go home to live with mom and dad?
3: Well, okay, so <laughs> this is because of a book I just finished writing on Fraser. But specifically the creators of Frasier said one thing that's going to make our show, show stand out is it's going to have the intergenerational conflict of – a son having to return to take care of his father. And that hasn't been done on American television before really. Um, <laughs> and, and that was in the nineties the that they were saying like, Oh, this is kind of a new twist on some, uh, you know, uh, immediately people are going to understand it because the, like the creator said, this is like, this was inspired by the life of one of their creators that they had to take in uh, an ailing parent. Uh, and they said, this is creating aspects of my life that I've never experienced before, but I bet a lot of my peers in my age group are experiencing this right now, but we don't, we never tell this story. In American popular culture, so this is going to make it unique. But it sounds like you're saying it's, it's not as unique in, in Asian storytelling.
0: So, Frasier is our modern adaptation of Momotaro's Waves.
3: <laughs> Absolutely. We're
0: We're gonna, gonna, let's, let's piece it together. <laughs> Frasier, the, the boy, dog,
3: the boy in the
2: peach. You got the uh, dog. The, Is the dog Eddie in this case? Yeah, of course. Uh, And then uh, Niles is crane.
0: Wait, what?
2: (laughs) (laughs) What I was gonna say is Niles the monkey, and then Daphne would be the the pheasant.
1: Uh, I is would there a Niles, Niles Crane, crane unrequited would be the attraction bird. between the pheasant and the monkey in the stories? There's some text there that we're missing? I don't know if this is uh, if this is just my memory playing tricks on me, but it seems like <laughs> Niles is always ordering food as well, and that's a central theme to this right here. Like he's very particular about his food, but good food he 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 loves his good food, and so <laughs> in this story uh, he makes the allies good food overcomes all differences. So.
3: All right, but, but circling back, I was just saying uh, that the greatest of were kind of saying th- there's an absence of this story in, in American culture. Uh, but from what you're familiar with, with other uh, Japanese mythology, does it, does this happen in other stories or is this kind of a Momotaro thing?
1: You know, I – off the top of my head, I can't think of it. But it is uh, – you know, it's, it's one of those expectations that you have that you are going to take care of your ailing parents. Uh, when When I grew up, I lived next door to my grandma. And we, you know, when we, when she was in her last few years, we took care of her and we were there. Uh, our other family was there as well, but we, you know, my, my dad is the oldest son and he, so he returned, you know, he didn't return. He, we, we lived in the house next door so we could take care, but it was, it was my, always told to my dad that that was going to be his responsibility. And it just is. It's just kind of what's expected. I can't think of other stories that have that though, and I, which made me think that this was unique in Momotaro. But obviously, Fraser Crane, his story, his life story mimics this.
3: Yeah, but I mean, in, in a lot of European fairy, fairy tales, you have uh, dead or dying parents at the very beginning, or evil step parents. Are you know that's the right. recurring theme, uh, and it's almost an escape from, you know, the the evil parents is is more common than the return to take care of an ailing uh, parental figure.
1: Right. Go, go out in the world and make it on your own. I, I just didn't know if that was because of cultural expectations or if I was just not thinking of stories. It seems like in Western
0: uh, fairy tales are s- sort of about go out and make it on your own, but they're also about f- creating a new community, right, like n- new relationships. So you do leave home because your parents are horrible or they're dead, and then you uh you make a new kind of fellowship and in the end uh, hopefully find you know a, I I don't, I don't know, correct me if i'm wrong on this but it seems like m- in most cases they don't end up alone they end up with another person or other people but not with their parents who they started with
1: right is that right i would it i would, feels agree right I'm it's, certainly to think
0: the, it's certainly what we have from uh, our modern interpretation of old Western fairy tales. I haven't read the original Grimm fairy tales for a very long time, but, uh, but it seems to me that that's, that's kind of the direction that we head in, is not this completely individualistic, um, I'm going to go live on a mountain by myself. Uh, but it is about I'm going to get out of a situation that I'm in, have an adventure, and create a new, a new community. Uh, whether that's you know like marrying a princess or uh, something or a prince
1: yeah've I've been working on a on another podcast. Uh, hopefully by the time this comes out, I'll have two episodes out. but uh, when looking at it, right now I'm examining a bunch of Disney stories and so many Disney stories are missing the are missing the mother and you've got a stepmother in there or the parents are dead and there's a lot of theories as to why, but really when you boil it down, it's a quick storytelling hack where, cause if, if the person's comfortable and his parents are there and he's happy, there's really not a reason for him to leave on this adventure. And right. so by removing the parents, you can give a lot of motivation really quickly. Like you understand it kind of like with the rest of these fairy tales, especially when you mash them up. Like we know that Cyclops is going to match up when you put Cyclops in as Momotaro, you know that he's going to be the leader he's the general because that's the archetype that cyclops fills and so you get to say oh this and this means this well missing parents and and this means here's your motivation to go out into the world and do these things so this you know this hero's journey that momotaro went on it was a little different but i, I don't know still very similar to things just with that one twist at the end
3: okay uh, about the end real quick when you when I was listening to your retelling uh and it says uh you know they returned the riches that they had taken from the uh, uh what's the name of the, the demon the
1: oni the, the oni.
3: Oni. yeah so that, so he defeats the oni gets all the riches he redistributes the wealth uh to everyone that the oni had stolen it from and then it says he returned to his parents and said they realized how rich they were I thought it was going to be because they had their son back <laughs> But then, <laughs>
2: you were expecting a cute little moral moment. Yeah, there. yeah.
3: But no, they're they're rich because there's a lot of leftover treasure. They're rich from money. <laughs> yes.
1: I, I tried really hard in the retelling, and maybe I didn't make it clear enough. They were really excited to see their their son, and then they saw the money. Like they, right, they were right. excited, and then they got the money, and then they were, and then they lived very, very happily. But
3: so within the narrative, uh, where's all the extra money coming from? If he's giving everyone back
1: their money. Well, I'm going to go back to the back to the theory that we've talked about that you can't really analyze these. <laughs> <coughs> uh, but, but seriously, I would my guess and what I've thought about because I've thought about this question a lot over the years is that these owning were terrorizing the village for generations, and so they've had lots of wealth. And then you know they also carry off the villagers, and so some some of them have, have died and haven't made a pack. So maybe, maybe it's it's the extras. However, I, I couldn't imagine Momotaro walking through the village with a cart full of gold, saying, "Hey, just come come take what's yours. Just leave what's not yours, but come take what's uh, yours."
3: Uh, honor system here.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so. It's uh, it's like the it's like the dwarves taking home their their share of uh, Smog's treasure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I was gonna say it's it's very much just a, a dragon's hoard at that point. If it's yeah. so much money that even one village. You know, can't distribute it amongst themselves and and be be able to use it all. It's so much
3: money. Okay, now occasionally we go on these tangents. We did it with Tangled. We did it with uh, White Christmas. (laughs) What is happening to the economic system of Momotaro's town with the sudden influx of of generational wealth being redistributed? Mass inflation. Yeah, like uh, how much is a peach going to cost Uh, just a thematic choice there.
2: Well, so if if all (laughs) of a sudden you can spend so much money to get the best peach.
1: (laughs) So, so let's, let's, let's think about this. Something that you just said kind of made me think maybe just, maybe they are becoming a socialist society uh, because you said they are redistribute redistributing the generational wealth. And so everyone's got enough. And so now everybody's got enough. That, sure, I'm going to go out and grow peaches because I love to grow peaches. And we're living in the Star Trek utopia at that point. Is, is, that, is that what we need?
3: We're kind of heading towards a commune. You know, everyone just take the role that need, that's needed for the community that you love best.
2: And then Kirk comes in <laughs> and he destroys your good flowers and he says, no, people should work to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't fit my idea of what happiness is.
1: <laughs> oh, man. Oh, good old Captain Kirk! <laughs>
0: I've got a, I've got a question for you guys. So, fairy tales like Momotaro, um, only for kids? No, 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 no definitely not. <laughs> no. No, definitely not.
3: <laughs> I mean, you are talking
0: originally for kids.
3: Who? Well, I no, I think this was like this was entertainment for the community. Was these oral traditions, these oral storytelling? Oh. I mean, that was
0: yeah, that I, was it. Every, <laughs> everyone
2: gets to take a fifteen-minute break every once in a while, and if they're lucky, they get to hear you know, someone tell the story,
3: you know, when the bard passes yeah. through telling these stories, it's not like children gather around. It's like everyone who hasn't had entertainment for the last four weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> come <laughs> a tale.
1: Well, so I'm, I'm sure that the version that I've been told my entire life was geared more towards kids, but, and you know, that's what they were trying to do with the story at that time. So many times we change stories and points in the stories to make you understand a little bit better what is going on. And so things may be simplified for kids, whereas it's like, okay, we all have different abilities. You know, the, the bird can fly over and start distracting the oni, while the monkey slips in between the gates, the bars and opens up the gates. And then the dog's got sharp teeth and Momotaro has a sword and they can be using all of your things, all of your skills together. You can, this is ocean's
3: 11. You just made me realize.
2: (laughs) All right. George Clooney is the boy in the peach. (laughs) Brad Pitt Blood
0: is the Brad Pitt no. is in the Brad peach. Pitt.
2: Brad Pitt. <laughs> oh no, uh,
0: Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt is the is because he came out of the peach.
2: How are these
1: names working for you every time? <laughs> Brad
0: Brad Pitt. Pitt.
1: <laughs> right, right. Um, I mean, you, you've all got your talents. You've all got your skills, and when you all work together, good things happen, and you are able to create a utopian society where nobody has to work because you have so much money. Uh, so when
0: we. So when we see what we consider really complex complicated storytelling like um uh Lost or or really um uh, this these newer I guess edgier TV shows like Breaking Bad or Game of Thrones are they in their complexity and depth I don't know if those, that's the right word but uh are they breaking the the fairy tale model, or are they just building a, maybe a more complicated structure on top of it?
1: Well, so uh, thinking about Breaking Bad specifically, yeah, that I want. What was that? Five seasons long, but the moral of the story, kind of. I mean, it, you can simplify it. So, what they have done there is they've just taken the story with a moral that they wanted to get across, which can be debated on what that moral is, which. <laughs> is exactly what a good, good story makes you do. And they've just spread it across and they've really zoned in and, and examined what, what is happening and why they're doing it. Like if you made Momotaro the TV show, I would imagine that like the first season would be him as a boy being found, being raised, being trained. And then, you know, you have a season where there, it's it's the journey. I'm sure there's going to be different, different story arcs inside of this because you, you can't, tell a five-year story and expect people to hang on for five years for a conclusion. But I think they've just examined it really far in depth. Why did Momotaro feel like he had to go out... And take care of these Oni. It, it, was it just because he was a man and that's what he at the right.
3: point he felt? Now I'm starting to map this out of my head. Uh, like <laughs> like season one, child. it's an idyllic childhood, but then the Oni come and like, ru- like mid-season, the Oni appear. Like at first it's kind of this idyllic uh, fairy tale, like the fairy tale-esque where it's like there's, there's hints of magic and other things and he's this magical boy, but like mid-season you get the first Oni attack that really disrupts the idyllic nature of where he's growing up. And that's uh, when his start... parents
1: revealed to him that he came out of a peach.
3: Yes! Oh, Oh. yeah. This, <laughs> I like this. Uh, at some point, he realizes he has the power to talk to animals, or animals have the power to talk to him. I don't know if that's unique to him, or just all animals talk in this world, but something along those lines has to be revealed slowly. But yeah, you start to drop in... I like the idea things. of making Matt something special about him, since he's from the peach. That's yeah. one of the special things about him. Yeah, every boy who is born of a peach can talk to animals. <laughs> oh,
0: that, makes me think of, uh, that makes me think of Magneto's little daughter in... And and like the only scene that i liked in that movie.
3: I uh, yes, uh oh, the only good scene in the movie i'd say. <laughs> I mean it's horrible. It's it's a terrifying scene, but it's it's a well done scene. Aww. Uh the rest of the film not so much.
1: Makes me <laughs> but sad. It's
3: X X-Men Apocalypse for everyone at home. Yeah, everyone who's confused about which X-Men thing we're referencing. That is the <laughs> film that you've probably already forgotten exists, called X-Men Apocalypse. <laughs>
0: It is a film. It does exist. Okay, but Joseph, <laughs> cont- continue
2: your pitch cuz this is good and someone might be listening. All right, so
3: so mid-season uh we discover about Oni and uh so uh, we probably have Are a Are you time pitching jump- this
2: like is this prestige like let's a, go like a 10
3: Netflix. episode season? No, let's, yeah, Netflix ten, 10 episodes. So so
2: Prestige FX can pick this up. AMC can get this if they want.
3: Yeah. Well, I, I Netflix original. I am or more than Netflix more original Netflix money.
1: So yeah, like 10,
3: say, 10 to thirteen episodes. Yeah, my main premise is I'm not gonna hold this back from anyone.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just really want Brad Pitt to be the role of Mother uh,
3: Top. but and, and I want well, Niles
0: Crane to be the bird.
3: Well, <laughs> David Hyde Pierce should voice anything so much. Yeah. He's he's, he's such a great voice. Uh, the second season. We we jump ahead, and this is the heavy training. Like now, he's realized that he's more adolescent, so, so more like fifteen, sixteen, which it means in Hollywood that they've cast like a twenty-four-year-old. Yeah. Are you still picturing
0: this uh, stop motion?
3: Uh, no, I'm. I'm. I've, I've, live I've switched to live action. How about we okay, we have a different it. style for every season? First season, stop motion. <laughs> <laughs>
0: First season stop motion, second season anime, so, uh, third a season live experimental action. like <laughs> be.
3: Oh yeah, I like that anime. Yeah, anime for one of the seasons, and then yeah, live action for uh, for the big fight. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. And then uh, what, what would be the best? Uh, I really feel like we do need an epilogue that talks about uh, what he's done to the economic system of this, this small village <laughs> <laughs> for the final season. What what uh, format would best match that? Uh,
2: DuckTales style. What duck format t- says
3: finances? <laughs> Ducktail
2: style. Duck uh, I was style. thinking
0: like a Ken Burns documentary. Oh, okay. Yes, Ooh, That's
2: very good. Thank you, Todd. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so, man. So
2: four season arc. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
2: 10 to 13 episodes per season.
1: Yeah.
3: And uh, unlimited budget given to us.
1: But <laughs> what do you do when the show becomes so successful that... The studio comes to you and says, "No, we want you to keep going."
3: Okay. Do you, at this then, point, then then yeah. you pick a different fairy tale. No, no. <laughs> what you do is you follow the animals because I noticed they disappeared at the end of the story. No, oh. No. So
1: for, in my in my brain, this way the story's always been told. They just live with Momotaro and his, and his family because they are that they they've become that close. They are they're the team. adopted family at this yes.
2: point. Or, yes. Or or you better call Solid and prequel <laughs> series for each character. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was thinking uh I was thinking like um that you know they could each go back to their uh to their respective uh colonies and uh and you know maybe one, maybe monkey disrupt there <laughs> No well I don't know maybe they maybe monkey shows arcs. up and there's and there's uh there's bad news in Monkeyville and uh and he goes back and gets dog and bird oh, and when no, 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 the they like go,
3: he, he tries to fix it himself at first but he can't cuz ah. the problem bigger than him but yes. he thinks because he's a hero now.
2: He's I've, like, got I've, I've,
3: I've, I've gained something from this adventure.
2: Yes. But, but I've he really gained was
0: friends. friends. Yep, you got to go the,
2: back. The true power was friendship.
1: But then when his friends show up, his community shuns them because they're not the same. Ah. They're the mm-hmm. And, and like he this. has to enlighten his community to understand why these animals of different species have value. I like this.
0: Oh
2: yeah! All right, so that's monkeys season. <laughs> I, I don't know that we need to break this down for every.
1: <laughs> it, it's pretty much the same for all of them. I, I think. Yeah. I think we can do that. So I, I've got I've got two more
0: thoughts here from C.S. Lewis. One is a book worth reading only in childhood is not worth reading even then, which is. <laughs> Uh, I think a pretty great quote. Uh, and then he, he ends this essay by talking about, uh, some of the, some of, some more of the merits of, of the fairy tale. So he says, fantastic or mythical is a mode available at all ages for some readers, for others at none. At all ages, if it is well used by the author and meets the right reader, it has the same power to general. So here we go. He's going to do this list one to generalize while remaining concrete Two. To present in palpable form, not concepts or even experiences, but whole classes of experience. Uh, three, and to throw off irrelevancies. But at its best, it can do more. Four, it can give us experiences we have never had, and thus, instead of commenting on life, can add to it. What do you think about that?
1: I'm trying to so, soak that all in. That's pretty deep.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you the, – the one about uh, concrete – it was one of the first points. I want to say it was number one.
0: So he says to generalize while remaining concrete.
3: Okay. That's the one I want to think about for a second. There's a, uh, a linguist named Hayakawa. Uh, and he wrote an essay about the best kind of language and he called it going up and down the ladder of abstraction. And mm-hmm. he's saying the bottom of the ladder needs to rest on pure concrete, very specific things. And this is to, to communicate ideas. Uh, And so you get the specificity in this instance, I would say, of like these exact characters, Momotaro, the dog, the the pheasant, you know, these are the things of this story. But then a a good communication will be able to go up the ladder to abstract, where you see how this is applicable to other situations. Mm -hmm. And good communication bounces back and forth between the very concrete, where you're seeing the exactness uh, of, in this instance, a story, but he's talking about all kinds of writing. You know, you see exactly how this applies in this specific instance but you also can go up the ladder to the completely abstract and say this is going to apply to so many instances this is going to apply uh to me in my life even though i'm not Momotaro. this is going to apply to this other culture and these other things and uh hayakawa says like bad writing is there in the middle between the two where you don't see any specificity to understand it and you don't see any abstraction to understand how it applies to you he calls that government writing <laughs> <laughs> Or, or bureaucratic writing. Uh, he says that's what what all communicators want to avoid is government or bureaucratic speech. Interesting. And I think that's kind of what uh, he... I mean, Hayakawa was talking about communication, but it also feels kind of Campbellian and in the way it was what C.S. Lewis said right then that opened that up to me. Like, good storytelling is going to have these concrete things that you're going to follow these characters and you're going to love these characters, but to make it matter and resonate across cultures, it also needs to be able to move up to this abstraction about the human condition. And so Momotaro has some of these abstract ideas about, uh, overcoming differences to work together for a greater good. Um, you know, that that's applicable, even if none of us are going to encounter a talking dog, a talking monkey and a talking bird, that's going to help us on our
0: specific adventures. Wait,
1: that's not normal.
0: Yeah. So do you think that the you, I wonder, uh, I don't know, I'm totally thinking out loud right now, but, I wonder if the the way that you get the specificity is through the the language. I mean, the like the actual words on the page, and the way that you get the universality is through the the structure or the form, possibly,
3: uh, or the the theme. I guess, uh-huh. uh huh. If it's if it's a so, so if it's a well-told story it's going to have both that specificity that that sucks you in but then the you know the thematic abstraction that makes it have meaning for you
0: which which to me is if i'm thinking about this right is that the question that we sometimes we ask what is this about mm-hmm. when you say you know what is this about and there's there's two answers to that one is well it's a story about uh, a boy who comes out of a peach and then he goes and <laughs> And beats up on some, son of a on peach. some uh, ogres. Yes, I know this about the son of a peach who goes out and uh, <laughs> gets a dog and a monkey and a and a bird, and they go uh, take some ogres out to the woodshed. That's one way to answer the question, "What is this about?" The other way to answer the question, "What is this about?" is to say uh, it's about friendship. It's about growing up. It's about taking care of your community. Um, it's, about, it's about family. It's about family. Yeah, it's about teamwork. Mm-hmm. It's about uh using you know different skills about leadership in some ways, recognizing hmm. different skills of people. It's a uh, watership down oh man, I love that book so much now. <laughs> <laughs> watership down is a great episode.
1: <laughs> I just got the Scarlet Pimpernel uh audiobook on Audible, and uh the guy who reads it's the same one who does watership down, and I'm like, oh, I can listen to this for a while, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yes, absolutely.
0: Well, I love fairy tales, and I really like this one.
1: Yeah, this is one that I would love to, ha- to have more at modern adaptations of. I actually kicked around the idea for a while of doing a comic book series of Momotaro and doing an adaptation from it. Kind of Momotaro meets Buffy the Vampire Slayer, where uh, there's a Momotaro, it passes down a family line kind of a thing. And (laughs) these generals, but I, then I learned that I can't write a story and I can't draw. So the whole graphic novel adaptation (laughs) that I was going to do completely out the window.
3: Now, Brandon, I will just say you have proven on this very episode that you can narrate the heck out of Momotaro. So I think you could do a uh, audio version of whatever story
1: you had in your head. (laughs) I'll have to figure that out. I'll have to figure that out. The the nice thing about Momotaro is I've had it my entire life. It's it's part of me. It's something that you know it's it's got all those themes into it. So I have you know I've I've brought that in. Uh, Something that came to my mind while while you were talking about your. Uh, C.S. Lewis quotes, uh, particularly the one about stories for children that are written for children, aren't even good for children. I can't remember the exact quote. A book worth reading only in in childhood
0: is not worth reading even then.
1: Right. And it's a... uh, My my sons and I listen to a podcast called Stories Podcast, where Daniel Hines takes old fairy tales, stories, and rewrites them with not a modern twist, but in modern language and it's, they're about 15 minutes long and then he has a narrator read them and this last one that he wrote he did an original story where it was about squirrels at a big oak tree and the grey squirrels didn't like the red squirrels so they built a big wall around the oak tree and uh, to keep the red squirrels out and it turns out that it killed the oak tree and all the squirrels were unhappy in the end and you know it... <sighs> I listened to that and with our current political climate, current political climate, I felt one way, but then my son who was, who's five years old was listening to that and we were in a, on a car trip and you know, he knows nothing about the political climate right now. And he, you know, and he <laughs> How starts saying the word well, wall can be right. Uh, but he, you know, he starts he starts telling me this is something that, uh, he starts saying, why would you do that? They're still squirrels. They still they still get along. And then he starts saying, "And you know, I've got a cousin who is a different color than me. I, they're still my family. And this cousin's a different color than both of us, and they're still family. And so, <laughs> and it's and you know it started going. And so, it was a story for children. However, it you know it it got a point across to an adult, and it really you know, made that child start listening. So it was very clearly that squirrels, oak trees, stuff like that. That's a, that's a kid story, but it is, has had such a great lesson to it that it was still a story for adults. When you, bring things down to their simplest form this is what the story is about then you can layer on anything on top of that that you want make it as ridiculous as you want talking squirrels with democratically elected leaders and uh, people who didn't agree with it and protests and things like that that sounds ridiculous but when you layer it on top of the stories with these other meanings with these abstract meanings it really it really does resonate with you i like that
3: so. I like that quite a lot. I guess as a transition point, does anyone have anything that you want to make sure we cover before we wrap up?
0: If anybody is interested in uh in fairy tales, they really should pick up this book, um, Of Other Worlds by C. S. Lewis. <laughs> there are there's like every it seems like every page I turn to there's some really great quote about fairy tales.
1: Okay, I have one last question that I would love to hear your guys take on. Uh I I I know we're running low on time and you guys have have lots of stuff to do. But what makes a fairy tale like we these ancient stories? It's really easy to say, oh, yeah, this is a fairy tale. But uh, are there modern fairy tales? Are there modern stories that become fairy tales? What do you guys think?
2: Yes. Like the simple answer, I feel like is, is yes. <laughs> um,
1: but what qualifies the, the hard you?
2: answer is.
3: Well, how do you how do you yeah like at what point it? does something transition from something like folklore to being a fairy tale? Uh, what in our modern culture, where we like preserve stories in their initial form, how does something become as uh, transitive as fairy tales are?
2: Yeah, the I mean the thing I think about the most is um, the death of the Waynes. the The death of Bruce Wayne's parents has probably been the single most portrayed thing in, in modern culture because <laughs> that, everyone, that be everyone tries to do it. Like, like we have all seen the images of the Wayne's dying. Those dozens pearls, of those times, like the, the pearls, the, the, the streetlight, the, the boy on the ground with, with his hands by his parents and, and all of those things like that image, that imagery in that moment is reinterpreted constantly. And mm-hmm. it's a transcendent moment. I mean, it, if I had to guess, I would say nothing has been viewed or depicted as many times as that.
1: So then you don't think it's the moral that makes it, that qualifies it to be a fairy tale? It's it's just straight up the transcendency? Well, the moral and seems,
0: if you're looking for like a hard and fast moral, it seems like you're in more in the realm of fable than fairy That's
1: true. tale. That's true.
0: When I think of fairy tale, I think of... Um, I think of s- stories with a really simple structure, or a complex structure that can be reduced to a simple structure. I mean, um,
1: put it on I simmer think, let it boil away for a little bit.
0: Right, like you, could, you things that can be boiled down uh, to kind of their essence. It seems to me that fairy tale is like maybe. I mean, if you're if you're thinking about this in like Campbellian or Jungian terms. It's like the the first or the closest iteration of a story after uh, the, uh, um, that like becomes form after it emerges from the from the subconscious I mean I don't know like if you if you take these stories and and draw them sort of go back as far as you can, you get to some kernel of something uh, that's a story that can be told that that reflects a subconscious reality that's I think that's like when I think of fairy tales that's what I think of these right. like the simplest form of so, these
2: so so the
3: easy tales. answer Todd that's what you've given us <laughs> so <laughs> yeah like, I was gonna, I was gonna go down like I feel like it needs something obviously like the term fairies right there you, like there's a magical element in the tone of it like something fantastic uh, is within talking it talking animals yeah I, I an typed island. in Fairy tale, just to see how like Wikipedia describes it, and it's like multiple paragraphs trying to offer elucidate yeah, exactly what, what fairy is, it's tale. Probably is.
0: something really close to what I just said. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's take your word for it.
3: Uh, like, okay, here's the first paragraph, uh, from Wikipedia. A fairy tale is a type of short story that typically features folkloric fantasy characters, such as dwarves, dragons, elves, fairies, giants, gnomes, goblins, griffins, mermaids, talking animals, trolls, unicorns, or witches.
0: It sounds like more than usually,
3: the rain, a, And usually magic or enchantments. Well, fairy Harry Potter's tale- a fairy tale. Wait, wait. Fairy ta- tales may be distinguished from other folk narratives, such as legends, which generally involve belief in the veracity of the events described, and explicitly moral tales, such as beast fables. The term is mainly used for stories with origins in European tradition, and at least in recent centuries, mostly relates to children's literature. In less technical context, the term is also used to describe something blessed with unusual happiness, as in a fairy tale happy end. And it just keeps going. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, it's a very... It's a,
2: it's a heavy word. Yeah. in our language, there's a lot that rides on the term fairy tale.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's it. Just keeps going, like like the uh, the introductory section in Wikipedia. You know how there's, and then you get the content section. But the introductory section is uh, four paragraphs that I'll read about, wow. like what I was just saying to you. Wow. And I I
2: imagine it's a pretty thorough, like the subdivisions that are built into that and the links. I can't oh. imagine how big that page must must lead to. I, like, I know if you do a Wikipedia dive.
3: Yeah. If you do a Wikipedia dive, try fairy tales and just see where you go. <laughs> uh, I know multiple folklores that have like systems trying to codify, uh, y- you know, the the differentiation between fairy tale and fable and all these things. Right. And, and, uh, I mean, I guess in the end, we're trying to overlay specific definitions onto stories that just exist. Like, like right. you know, when people are sharing stories, they're not saying, I'm going to share, I mean, I guess today, probably some people are. But, I mean, the way stories naturally grow when it's from an oral tradition, it's like people are saying, I'm I'm going to be in the fairy tale tradition. <laughs> so, you know, we we look back and try and create this nomenclature to, to define it, and there's always going to be things that feel a little wibbly-wobbly as to whether they're a fable or a fairy tale. Um, and that that may be why we're all kind of struggling to offer this explicit definition of what a fairy tale is
1: i like it i like it so can so is uh,
0: there is is there room for the creation of i mean i guess is there room for the creation of more fairy tales or are we just recreating the same fairy tales which retelling the same pre-existing fairy tales in in their own in different forms
3: so i mean one thing i love about classic fairy tales is that there can be all these different versions that get written down at different points and that you see the similarities and then there are differences and and like i was saying like we we don't have because we've moved past the oral tradition uh, you know things get codified immediately and we have the original text for for new stories but at the same time and kind of like what producer andrew was saying with batman's origin like that gets retold with all these variations uh, you know, Disney has created new versions of fairy tales. So so maybe like through adaptation, we see these variations develop instead of through, you know, oral tradition that sees tweaks and divergent paths happen as, you know, people move and start telling the story again. Uh, so maybe it's just with time and a built up number of adaptations, we're going to see a similar thing happen with, with stories. Um, and as far as like what stories do we see that happening with, I don't think. Producer Andrew's far off with um, some of these corporate figures uh, like superheroes that have been around for, you know, 75, 80 years. And you have multiple versions of, uh, you know, their origin stories that are told in comics at different decades by different creators. Multiple stories that are told in every adaptation, be it television or radio show or or film. Uh, and then, we you know, we see it retold in film every with the Batman origin, you know, every, every 10 years, we get a new director saying, <laughs> I'm going to tell <laughs> the Batman's origin. <laughs> um, so maybe that's one area where we see it. Um, I, I imagine we're going to have others. I mean, Brandon was just sharing a, a you know, a podcast story that has very fairytale uh, or, or fablesque, you know, uh, aspects to it. So I think it will happen. I just don't know. It's going to be different than the way we got these earlier fairy tales. That's for yeah. sure.
1: Okay. All right. That's, you know, that's something that I, I find real interesting because there are a lot of people who go out there and try to write their new fairy tales. I, I'm wondering if it's a, a change in our semantics. The words that we use, we dis, we describe them things as fairy tales, and to us we think of the Brothers Grimm or, you know, the other classic fairy tales that we know. But that doesn't mean that, you know, the Wayne's murder is not being adapted and changed into the same, into the same aspect. I, I like that. I like that a lot.
3: All right. Any final thoughts about? uh, Oh, now all of a sudden I can't find. Momotaro. I was about to say Momo Momotaro. <laughs> Momotaro. Any any final thoughts?
0: I have only questions, no answers. <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right. So I just, I'm, I'm going to pull a, pull a Todd here and use a C.S. Lewis quote because I just found it, and it, I think it applies to Momotaro pretty well. Uh, this is talking about fairy tales specifically, and it says, uh, "I think that I think it is possible that by confining your child to blameless stories of child life in which nothing at all alarming ever happens, you would fail to banish the terrors and would succeed in banishing all that can ennoble them or make them endurable." For in fairy tales, side by side with the terrible figures, we find the immemorial comforters and protectors, the radiant ones. It would be nice if no little boy in bed, hearing or thinking he hears a sound, were ever frightened. But if he's going to be frightened, I think it's better that he should think of giants and dragons than merely of burglars. And I think that St. George or any bright champion in armor is a better comfort than the idea of the police.
0: Uh, that's uh that's also in my little book here, and it's uh <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> I love that I am
3: one hundred percent stealing the term "radiant ones" for a story I'm working on right now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you yeah, know, I'd I'd, I'd I'd rather oh, be afraid of of Oni and believe that Momotaro is out there to defeat them than think that there's some burglar running around my house.
0: Yeah, the essay is called "On Three Ways of Writing for Children."
1: Is that right? Uh, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, that's it. Yeah. So. It,
3: I mean, that reminds me, going back to some of our, one of our very earliest episodes on the Graveyard Book, where Neil Gaiman said, uh, like, we brought up some quotes so of his you're wearing,
0: inoculating yourselves against the darkness.
3: Yeah, we need emotional inoculation through fear in children's stories. Like, we we've made children's stories too sanitary, too safe, uh-huh. and they need some emotional inoculation of being scared, but also finding comfort, I think. I like that. All right. I think that is going to wrap up this episode. So thank you for joining us. And thank you, Brandon, for being our guest. Uh, please subscribe to the protagonist podcast in iTunes. And also please subscribe to the Phantom podcast in iTunes and leave us both reviews. We really enjoy getting the good reviews, at least. Uh, if you're a new <laughs> listener.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I, I've, I've seen some one stars, not for my podcast, but one stars <laughs> that are a lot of fun to read. <laughs> we have one. We, we, have have one, one, star. one star. we have one. One star. We have <laughs> one that shining. One is... shining. One star review. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, everyone, let's go and inundate their their reviews <laughs> with five stars so that it just looks out of place.
3: Uh, <laughs> uh if you're a new listener we would just offer a note about our back catalog we switched up our format a bit at episode 13 so our first dozen episodes are a bit meandering in terms of discussion and length but if you enjoyed this episode you may want to go check out our back catalog uh brandon was a guest when we talked about hook and we also have an episode where we talk about uh the hero's journey that i think would both apply very well uh to this discussion links to things we've talked about in this episode are at protagonistpodcast.com that's also where you can find a list of all of our previous shows you could suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at protagonist pod at Todd K. Mac at Jay Dorowski. Our producer, Andrew is at uh, Andrew underscore Dorowski and Brandon. What, uh, what social media do you have for the fandom podcast?
1: Best place to find me is over at facebook.com slash fandom podcast. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at overgrown Asian. <laughs> but it's uh, I, I, I don't post a lot over there, if that's what you're looking for. Mostly look over at fa- uh, facebook.com slash fandompodcast.
3: You can also uh, look at facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast for discussions on this episode and our previous episodes. If you would like to support the show financially, we have a couple different ways that you can do that. You could buy a topic for us to discuss. Or just offer a monetary donation by clicking the support link on our homepage, or going directly to Patreon.com/protagonists. And all supporters on Patreon receive access to our quick casts. You can also go to slash amazon to make all your Amazon purchases. And finally, don't forget to sign up for a thirty-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com/protagonists. Thank you again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. So long.
0: Okay, let me do well, it again. <laughs> Yes. You know they're right, written right in front of you.
3: I know, but I looked up.
1: Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, man. This is one of the best running gags on this show, let me tell you. <laughs>